So if you would please turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to just break uh, for one week away from Revelation just to uh, hit on a, a, a needed point. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to be reading in verse 9. And this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, I wrote to you in, I wrote you in a letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean at all, or did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindler or idolater. For then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with the so-called brother. If he is an immoral person or covetous or idolater or a reviler or drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outside outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I do pray for this message. I pray that we would clearly understand this passage. We would clearly understand, a, a uh, get a, a biblical view of worldliness and what it means to stand, what it means to be in the world but not of the world. Lord, we thank you for the guidance that your word gives us and what a, what a joy it is to open this book and come together as a church family and study this book and glean from its truths. And I thank you, Lord, for the unity that, that we gain as a congregation coming together and looking at a single passage together. And we thank you. It's such a blessing. May you be honored and glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week, we were looking at the church at Thyatira from the book of Revelation. We're going through those five letters that Christ has written to the church. Or, I'm sorry, seven letters. And uh, we were at the church of Thyatira. Now, they had a problem. And the problem was that they were tolerant. They were tolerant of this one lady in the church who was leading the church really into worldliness. And... Um, he was, she, and the church was tolerating her as she led them into worldliness as she was teaching them how to essentially try to reach the world through associating with the world, uh, living with the world, and even worshiping with the world and becoming like the world. And, and that's a problem. That's a problem. And um, we see we see in this passage here that the church at Corinth was doing the same thing. They were not doing church discipline, and Paul had to address this issue. Um, and they had the same kind of mindset, and it kind of goes like this: that you know, within the four walls of the church, we we're a loving. There's a loving environment, and we we are all sinful, so we we tolerate sin within these four walls. But now the church at Corinth, they were adding to that and saying, well, Paul says to don't associate with the immoral people. So those are the, the sinful people outside. And so they were isolating themselves from even the world, but not addressing the sin within the church. You say, well, that's messed up. And you'd be right. 
That just doesn't, that just doesn't even make sense. And so Paul has to address this. And in this passage, we find that just the opposite is true. Just the opposite. That uh, we are to be tolerant of sin outside these four walls. We have to live in the world and, and God is uh, the one who is judging the world. But within these four walls, within the church, we are not to be tolerant. We are not, we are to address and to deal with the sin in our own lives and the sin of the church. I let God judge the world. Now, like Thyatira, the church at Corinth was not doing church discipline. Now, church discipline is so important. It's so necessary because it delineates, it helps the church delineate who's in the church and who's part of the world. And if, if you're acting like the world, if you have a, um, a, a bent towards sin that you are stubbornly, rebelliously not willing to give up, Go through the church a process of church discipline. We put you out into the world. That's the idea. That's the idea. We we keep the church pure, and that's exactly what we saw last week. That Christ was going to march in. He was going to come into that church, and he was going to trample those, even kill some of those, in order to purge his church. The church must be purged. But the question that uh, then kind of looms over in my mind is, what do you do with the church? What do you do with the world? What is our relationship with the world? Last week, we were talking about the message on, uh, on where we were eating dinner after the service. And, and Carolyn mentioned, you know, they were saying, oh, I wish you'd have gotten into this. I wish you'd have talked more about this. And, and it really came back to, uh, and Carolyn mentioned, how do we tolerate the world? How do we see the world? How do we have that balance between these two extremes of isolating ourselves from the world and then, and then, or versus running to the world, becoming like the world, embracing the world in order to reach the world, minimizing any kind of differences with the world so that we can reach them. And in a sense, what we're doing is saying the gospel is not enough. We have to help the gospel out. That's the, that's the other extreme. We're no longer depending on the gospel. We're depending upon our suave and our devonair and our, and our personality and our, our coolness in order to, to reach the world where they are. That kind of thing. And we're less dependent upon the gospel. And you see those two extremes. Becoming like the world to reach the world or isolating ourselves from the world. Both are, both are not good. Now, what I want to do today is essentially is just a word study on the word world. I think that we, we need to, to look at this. Now, the world, uh, the word world is mentioned 181 times in scripture. And I read through all 181 times that it's mentioned in the Bible this week. I want to use this message as kind of like an introduction to a biblical mindset of how we should view the world, how, how we should look at them, what uh, the mindset we should have toward them. And there's three questions that I want to ask and kind of govern our thinking with and to, to kind of move things along. The first of all is what is the world? What is the world? Now you see the elements of there. There's three elements that we have in the world. Now there's different ways the Bible uses the word world and the sense that we're going to use is the world's system. 
This world's system is philosophy that is promoted by Satan. Number one, you see up the top there, the three elements of the world is, first of all, Satan is guiding this world. He is the one that's, that's leading this world's system. He is painting for us a picture that is not real. It's a lie. He is the he is a liar and the father of lies. And he is a, a painting this petri, picture. He's feeding us these lies so that we will essentially exclude God. And the idea is we can become independent of God. The idea is we really don't need God. We can, we can do this on our own. Now, this, the second element is you see rebels. This world is made up of rebels. Those who are rebelling against God. And there's, there's a couple of in that category. First of all, is demons. Those who have follow are following Satan in the demonic realm, they do not have flesh on like we do. Their spirit, we read of doctrines of demons that Paul mentions. So you, you have the idea that these demons are going around whispering new ideas and new philosophies to this world as well as Satan. Of course, he is governing everything. And then you have people, spirits with flesh on. Now, that's a problem too, because the flesh, the flesh is geared and bent toward this world and worldliness. We have this flesh and it's, it's corrupt. It, it, it can't be, be trusted, but, but we live in this flesh and so we have to, we have to deal with that. That's part of the world. Part of the world. Until Christ pulls us out of the world. And in John chapter 17, that's exactly what the Christ's whole prayer was about. Lord, I pulled them out of the world. You, those who came to me, you, you gave to me, and I've uh, sanctified them. They're different from the world. They're not like the world. And you, you know that, uh, you know that scenario. You know what he's talking about there. We have been pulled out of the world. We're not like the world. We're distinct from the world. So, so you have the, the rebels. And then you have, what's the, the goal of the world? If that's if Satan's got his rebellious crowd and he is leading people about, what is the goal? And the goal is autonomy from God. Independence from God. And that's essentially what worldliness is. My own pleasure. I can do it my own way. And if there is a God, He's there essentially to serve me anyway. And the world essentially revolves around me. I become the God. And that's that's kind of the idea. But when you think about it, it's just foolish. And God should kick us off this, this planet and say, look, you want to be independent, okay, go find your own planet. And by the way, that's my oxygen, give it back. That's my flesh, that's my dirt, you give it back. That's my life, you give it back. And we have nothing. We have nothing. That's foolish, isn't it? But that's, that's the way we think. That's the way we are completely dependent upon this God that we're rebelling against. And it makes no sense. In fact, within the church, within the, the believer's uh, life, it's completely a, the opposite. The goal for the believer is to submit to God. It is to, to give up his own will, to take on God's will, not my will, but your will be done for your glory. So we're living for God's glory. Living for God's glory. So what you have is, is Satan leading this worldly system about, and uh, you have these rebels seeking to be independent of God, and Satan convincing them, them that they can do it. Oh, yeah, we can do it. We've got this figured out. We've got this whole life thing. 
We don't even need God. We have evolved. Evolved. Now that's exactly the way Paul is using the word world in this passage. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, now I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. So Paul had to address this in an earlier letter. It was misunderstood, let's say. They thought, well, he's talking about the immoral people of the world. So they began to isolate themselves. And Paul is saying, no, you, the immoral people in the church. He says, I did not mean with the immoral people of this world. See how he's using that? This world's system, these people who are in essentially unsaved people are part of this world's system in rebellion against God and they're, they're covetous, they're swindlers, they're idolaters. He said, look, if that was the case, we would have to leave the world. We have to rub shoulders with these people. You see the way he is using that here. Now, I want to apply this a, a little bit, this, this principle. First of all, we are distinct from the world. We've been called out of the world, but we have to rub shoulders with the world. We have to share this, this life with this planet, with the world. That's just a reality. It's the reality of the, this spiritual condition that we're in. In fact, Christ said, I'm sending them into the world. I want them to be in, in this world. Just like God sent Christ into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And he said in the prayer in John chapter 17, he says, please protect them from the evil one when I do this. So we are in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, that's a common, you, you know that. In fact, the Bible goes on to say that we appear as lights to the world. We are light of the world. We're light. Now, here's the problem. The world would like to squash out that light. The world would like to, to form us, to, to push us, to frame us into their understanding of life. They want us to be like them. So they, they want to force their uh, narrative, their worldview, their presuppositions, their stereotypes. They want to force them on us. They want us to think like they do. They want us to live like they do. They want us to be worldly. Because what? Because we're light. They don't like light. Because we're a conscience. We're a convicting element to them. And so they want to stomp us out. They want us to, to think like they do. And so they, they'll change and, and they will formulate the arguments. They will formulate the, the way we see life. And so they will change in labels of things and categories and twist truths and establish different value systems than what we would have. And they want to uh, fit all of this together, again, independent of God, apart from, from God. So you see, the, you see the problem that we are in. Now, they, they influence the church, they influence us through medium, through just conversation, through commercials, through music, through videos, through education. And they will, they will change things. Those are, that's just a group of cells. That's not a real baby in there. It's, it's better to live together because then you can, then you could just see if it's going to work and if it works, then you can get married. You see how they just subtly shift things uh, just a little bit. 
They would, you know, food and drugs. Now, there's where your comfort's going to be, comfort food. And these drugs, that's where your peace is going to be. They may maybe even promote disorder as opposed to order that we see in Scripture. And they would, they would be against order. Oh, be yourself and, you know, just do whatever you want to do. And, and so they're, they're changing the, the whole structure in which we, we think. And as Christians, we have to, we have to combat that. We have to combat that. And the battle's in our minds. So the world's narratives are being forced upon us by Satan, and it's essentially excluding God from life. When just the opposite is true, we are, we as Christians are trying to put God in every element of our lives, aren't we? Paul said, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Every little thing of life is important and it glorifies God in some way or another. The world wants to force us into its mold, but here we stand. Here we stand in contrast to the world. And Paul is saying that we need to be worried about the church and the purity of the church and let the church stand. Let the church stand. That's essentially it. In fact, the world's system, we have to rub shoulders with it. It's just a reality of it is. But we are to be distinct from the world. We're, we're there. We're, we, we're with them. They, they come in and clean our cars. They fix our furnaces, deal with our plumbing. Sometimes we are even married to unsaved. We, we have to deal with the world, don't we? We have to deal with it. But we are to be in the world, but not of the world. The question is, is how then do you overcome the world? How do we overcome the world? How do we do that? We turn over to 1 John chapter 5. Now we read this last week, and we just kind of touched on it, but I want, to, want you to see it a little bit more in depth. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 5. Because John just plain gives us the answer right here. Verse 5. We're going to start with verse 5 and then we'll go back to verse 4. 1 John 5, 5. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If, if you believe, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that is the biggest hurdle of overcoming the world. That's the starting point of overcoming the world. And positionally, you have already done that. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you have accepted Jesus Christ, then you've already come overcome the world. Positionally, that's a fact. That's a fact. That, that we have overcome the world. Um, Paul said that uh, the world is crucified to me and I to the world. That's pretty plain. I like what Arthur Pink says. This is a little quote. He says, How does God save His people from the pleasures of sin? Essentially, that's worldliness. That's filling this flesh. That's part of this world, this crooked, condemned world. He says, here's the answer. He says, the answer is, by imparting to them a nature which hates evil and loves holiness. And we're changed. There's a whole new Carl Dingus here. And, and that's, that's the starting process. He's overcome within, positionally within Christ Jesus. And he's given a new nature that doesn't like evil, that hates evil and loves holiness. And he says this takes place when a person is born again. When a person is born again. You say, 
Sometimes I don't, sometimes I feel more worldly than I should. Sometimes I don't feel so godly, don't feel so holy. So positionally, those things are legally true about the Christian, but practically, practically, we're probably not so holy. We're probably not so, so good and, and practically, we're not really overcoming the world on a daily basis. Let's go back to our verse. Look at verse 4. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Say, so, yeah, well, that's what he said before. Faith in Jesus Christ overcomes the world. But notice uh, that this word overcome, both times it's used here, is a continuous thing. It's a continuous action. So it could, it could read, those who are born of God constantly, continuously overcome. They overcome. And how do they do that? They're constantly overcoming. This is on a daily basis. They're constantly overcoming how? By their faith. And again, that's by their faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith in Jesus Christ that, that we're overcoming. And we get stronger in that. We're baby Christians at first, and then we get stronger in exercising our faith and our understanding of who Christ is, and we get stronger. Now, a picture of that is in 1 John chapter 2. Just turn one page back, chapter 2, in verse 13. And he, uh, he talks about the spiritual young men. The spiritual young men. In the middle of verse 13, he says, Young men, uh, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, that's the same idea, right? If you overcome Satan, you overcome, essentially you overcome the world, right? You overcome Satan's influence upon you. Look at the middle of verse 14, because he says the same thing. He just repeats it for the sake of emphasis, but he adds, that's the Hebrew mindset. They do that quite a bit. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Now, that's that strong in faith and the you have strong, and the Word of God abides in you. You become strong in your faith, strong in the Word, and you have overcome the evil one. So you, the, the, connecting the dots, you've overcome the evil one because you become strong in your faith, in your, your understanding, your focus is on, has been on God and Christ and His Word, and you've just gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. So the world now doesn't have that dominant influence that it used to have. Do you see that? And so we have to overcome that world influence, and we do so just by becoming stronger and stronger in our faith, and then the influence of the world becomes less and less and less. That's, that's so important for us to grasp. As Christians, we have to understand that. My faith in Christ Jesus grows, and I overcome the world, not just positionally, but practically, every day when I exercise faith in Jesus Christ, when I do His commands, and I, I obey His Word. J.C. Ryle says this, To be born again is to enter a new existence. That's a whole new person. whole new existence. He says, uh, to have a new mind. New heart, new views, new principles, new taste, new affections, new likes and dislikes, new fears, new joys and sorrows, new loves of things that we used to hate, new hatred for things that we used to love. 
New thoughts of God, ourselves, the world, the life to come, and our salvation. Now that's, that's where we begin. And then all of that begins to flesh out. We become stronger in the Word. And we begin to, oh, I need to put that value aside. That's not that important in the spiritual realm of things. This is much more important. And I begin to hate my sinfulness. Look, I'm tired of doing it. I don't want to do that anymore. I continue to wrestle and put that aside. I don't love that anymore like I used to love that. Do you get the picture? It's a growing process to overcome the world and the world's influence. We just practice our faith every day, daily, 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 constantly. And we are separated then by the world. The more we grow as a Christian, the more distinct we become from the world. The more we separate ourselves. And just even just our mind, we don't even think like the world anymore. Now there's some warnings in Scripture that you need to be aware of. There's four warnings, at least four, in Scripture. The new believer is warned to, to make sure you don't get tripped up by Satan. Don't get tripped up by Satan in, in this world as a new believer. New believers or believers are told to, to do not love the world. Don't love the world. There's a warning there. Don't love the world. Don't flirt with the world. Don't be friends with the world. You're distinct from the world. Believers are also warned to don't be worldly minded. Worldly minded. So we're constantly renewing our mind, our thinking. Remember, uh, Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's, that's where we are. And don't be worldly minded, be spiritually minded. And then, like the church in Thyatira, we are who was adulterating themselves. Now, folks, this is where we are. This is where the church of Jesus Christ is today. We are, we are so, I think, worldly-minded. We are getting our cues from the world on how to live our life. Now, our motivation, our motivations can be good. Say, oh, I, I want to I reach the world. So I want to be like the world as much as possible. That is contrary to Scripture. It's contrary to Scripture. We do not, we need to stop looking at the world to pick up our cues on how to live life. When we have it all right here, we know how to live life and godliness. We talked about that before. Our way of life comes from Scripture. The only way to overcome the world is to, to commit ourselves to this word exercise faith in Jesus Christ and we can become stronger and stronger and stronger. So we must overcome the world. Must overcome the world. Now let's try to make this practical. The question is, the next question, the third question, how are we to tolerate the world? Okay, if we can, if we can overcome the influence of the world and we stand, we stand, how do we, how do we tolerate the world? What do we do? What do we do with that? Look back at 1 Corinthians. Because this is the mindset that Paul has. Now, he doesn't go into it here, but it's, it's kind of his mindset. This is the way he, his focus is here. He says in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12, he says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? He says, uh, Do we not, do I, 
or do you not judge those who are within the church? Our focus is within the church. We can't control the world. Our focus is right here. Our focus is our own sinfulness, repenting of that and confronting the sin within the church and let God take care of the world. He says, verse 13, but those who are outside, God judges. He says, we are to remove the, the sin from our own midst, essentially in verse 13. Now that, that's Paul's focus. And I think it's, I think it's just the opposite of what we have today. Many churches, man, their idea is to, uh, is to just dominate the world. To dominate the, the world and influence the world. And that's, that's their goal, is to, to do that. But that wasn't Paul's goal. He let the gospel do the changing. His focus was, I want to be pure. I want to be a vessel that God can use. I want to stand in stark contrast to the world so that the world knows how to live life, so that there's a conviction element there in the world. Now, let me give you an example of this, just some, just a general example. There's two men in the Old Testament, and they were growing wealthy, Abraham and Lot. And the Lord was blessing both of them, so much so that they, there was not a left land to support both of them. And, and so Abraham and they said, we've got to split up. And Abraham said, that, that's, that's wise. We need to do that. And so he let Lot choose, right? Now, Lot says, I, I want, I'll, I'll go over here toward, toward Sodom. And he kind of gravitated that direction. And Abraham said, that's fine. I'll, I'll go over this way. And, and they begin to, they begin to grow even more. Uh, let's look at Lot. I believe that Lot was seeking I believe that he was a righteous man. And I believe that he was seeking to influence the world. Look over at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Now this will pull together in just a minute. You'll see. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7 and 8. Look at this. This is an account of Lot's, Lot's life here. Verse 7. And if he rescued righteous Lot oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Now that sounds like just tolerate. Just tolerate. I mean, they're oppressing me. I don't like this. Their commercials bombard me. Their movies just are vulgar. Their language is absolutely terrible and just constantly bombarded. Now, he clarifies that. He wants us to... He kind of emphasizes that in verse 8. For by what he saw... What he saw, the movies that he's watching, the things that he would see in the street corners, the things that he saw, verse 8, and heard, uh, he probably didn't have a radio back then, but he heard things that he saw and heard, that righteous man. So he, he maintained some righteousness. There was a, a, an inkling there of righteousness, that righteous man. I believe that his motives were pure in going toward Sodom. But that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Now, folks, that's tolerating. That's tolerating. We don't like it. We hate it. But it's, it's just tormented. Now, now here's the problem, though. 
Lot didn't have to be in that situation. In fact, he had to be rescued out of that situation. He had to be rescued out. He was not that much of an influence. In fact, what he, we find that the world had much more of an influence on Lot than Lot did the world. And I want you to see, I want you to follow uh, up on, on this. Look at Genesis chapter 19. Because here's the account. You know the situation. These uh, angels go down to rescue Lot. And they find themselves uh, kind of trapped in Lot's house. The men of the city came out and they're banging on the door. Send us these men that we can have our way with them. Just vulgar stuff. Verse, verse 5, chapter 19, verse 5. He says, bring them out. They're, they're commanding Lot. Bring them out that we may have our have relations with them. And verse 7, he pleads with him, brothers, do not act wickedly. Lot, this is Lot, he's calling them brothers, don't act wickedly, he's still, he's still, I'm part of this system, and I'm trying to convince the world to not be like the world. Verse 9, they said, stand aside, furthermore they said, this one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like our judge. Boy, that's the same thing that... Paul said, well, we're not the world's judge. He's coming in and he's lacking, acting like our judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. We don't like you. So they pressed on, pressed hard against Lot and came near to breaking the door. And the men reached out and they grabbed him by the hand, pulled him in, saved his life. They had to rescue Lot, Lot from, from this situation. And folks... I'm afraid now, not so much Daniel's Bible per church, but I see many, many churches that are trying to be so much like the world. And they, they are just trying to plead with the world. And they're putting themselves in such compromising position that they're really very little light at all. Now let's contrast that with Abraham. What do we know about Abraham? We can just sum it up. He was a man of what? Faith. He stood. He stood alone. He, in fact, he, he was alone. He and his family and his little men, this little band, and he had to rescue other people. But he had a huge influence on the people that he was with. The huge influence on, on the people um, around him and in his generation and really generations after that. I think the world or the church has gone after the wrong thing. Instead of standing, instead of exercising their faith, instead of examining, the, examining themselves, they're tolerating the sin within themselves so that they can have an influence, an influence on the world. Oh, we want to be like the world as much as possible so that we can reach the world. Now, we don't want to be strange. We don't want to be those weird people or stupid people. But folks, we are just going to be different from the world. We're going to be different from the world. And here's the key. We have to let the the gospel change the world. We're not going to do it. It's not going to be us just going out there and persuading by laws or persuading by my influence. 
In fact, what I think we, we see today is the church's mindset is this dominant influence. If we could just dominate the world and, and influence the world, then the world would get saved. And what we find in Scripture is just the opposite. God loves to take the single individual, the underdog, the little David, and make a huge influence. And it, it really comes down to pride. The church wants to dominate and be proud and be and have this influence over the world. And real, the reality is, is that we just, in humility... <clears throat> Humble ourselves and, and take stock. What is our sinfulness? Where is our weakness? Strengthen ourselves and stand in stark contrast to a dark world. And then God can do incredible things. He took twelve ordinary men, twelve ordinary men, and He changed the world. But those men weren't, weren't going out to change the world. They're just sharing the gospel. One person at a time. Just just doing what they can do uh, right there in their midst, right in front of them. Who does God want me to minister? Well, I'll minister to Him. I'll minister to this person. Slow, humble, long-term, faithful ministry. And folks, they overturned the world with their thinking. And you're, you're, reminded, about, you're reminded of Joshua. And Joshua said, as for me and my house, I, I'm going to serve the Lord. I don't care what you, you guys do, but as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. And God can use that, that influence, that single influence to affect change in, in the world if He wants. That's God-sized thing. We just focus on, on our little ministry. You see the difference? It comes down to pride, folks. It really does. I think the, the church in America is just a prideful church. Man, we're going to just dominate. We're going to show. We're going to... It's not about us. We just get our own lives together. We, we get our own church. We examine our own churches and, and say, is there sin here? And if there is, we need to get rid of it. We need to get it out. Purge that church and then... Just let, let the Lord work. If He wants to use us greatly, that's great. If, if He just wants us to plod along, that's fine too. That's fine too. But that's His, that's His work. That's His job. I'll leave you with this one quote from John MacArthur. He says, there are many people today running around calling for the nation to repent who need to be calling the church to repent. Unless churches repent and turn from sin and pursue holiness, and that is so key. Not just turning from sin, but pursuing holiness. There is no hope for this nation. That's, that's what it comes down to, folks. We are, we are trying to pursue changing a nation, but we need to just change ourselves, our churches. Focus in upon our own sinfulness, our own holiness. And, and then, if God so chooses to use a church in a humble state, He can do so. But I think He's got to get pride out of the way. And again, I, I'm so thankful to serve at Daniel's Bible Church. I don't see that so much here. I think the foundation of biblical exegesis has been here so much but I do see that in the rest of the world. And, and it's so easy for us to begin to think like the world. And we want the grandiose. And we want the large ministry. We want the big... We want, you know, we've got to be a dominant influence. Folks, 
take take stock of your own self. Take stock of our our own selves as a as a church. Humble ourselves. Sounds like a verse, doesn't it? If, if humble, if God's people would humble themselves, God could do great things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your word, the influence of your word on our thinking. Lord, it really can renew our minds. It can cause us to be in stark contrast to the world in our thinking and and just our action. We have to rub shoulders with this world. And Lord, we have to, to be in this world. And of course, you've called us to evangelize this world. Lord, help us to think humbly. Help us to just thank our neighbors. Think about our neighbors. Think about the, the person that we come in contact with on a, just on a daily basis. How, how are we influencing them? Do they know of our sinfulness? Do they know? Or do they see humility? Lord, help us to be humbled people. People that are just dependent upon you. And the simple gospel to change people's minds. Change people's hearts. Change people's lives. The gospel has the power to do that. Lord, help us just to get out of the way and just allow you to work. Um, Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, what we want to hear when we die, when we stand before you is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we want. Thank you for this passage, for these verses, these, this, this word study. May it change and affect our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.